Happiness Isn't Brain Surgery with Doc Snipes. Each week, we record the podcast during a Facebook Live broadcast in which Doc Snipes presents information and tools to help you start living happier. Our website, DocSnipes.com, has even more resources, videos, handouts, and workbooks to help you apply what we talk about. After each podcast, the accompanying video, text, and worksheets will be published from members on DocSnipes.com. Additionally, each week we have a members-only educational group, followed by a question and answer session with Doc Snipes to help you apply the tools to yourself and start living happier faster. The Doc Snipes podcast will be providing listeners and members the same tools and information Dr. Snipes gives her clients. Go to DocSnipes.com to learn more. Welcome to today's episode of Happiness Isn't Brain Surgery with Doc Snipes. Today we're going to talk about distress tolerance. We're going to start out by defining the goals of distress tolerance, discuss why some people do not choose distress tolerance, and explore a variety of distress tolerance and reality acceptance skills. The goal of distress tolerance is what it sounds like. It's to accept, find meaning for, and tolerate distress. Pain and distress are an inevitable part of life, and refusing to accept this causes you to suffer needlessly. Any attempts at change will produce distress, and therefore, distress tolerance skills are necessary. So if you're starting to get happy, well, it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but that's going to cause you to do things that change your behaviors, change the way you interact with people, which may cause a little bit of distress. It's hard. It's hard to change any behavior, even if it's for the better. So if you have distress tolerance skills that will be easier to handle, um, kind of the bumps in the road as they come along and stay motivated. One thing that it's important to remember is that change causes crisis and crisis causes change. So what that means is whenever you do anything to change, it's going to cause some discomfort. You're, you're trying to do something new. It's going to cause, some, cause you to use some extra energy. But crisis also causes change. Most of the time, we don't change something unless there's a reason to some sort of a crisis now it may be you decided to go on a diet because you put on your favorite pair of pants and you couldn't get them buttoned it's a little crisis or it may be because you had to file bankruptcy that's a bigger crisis um, so whatever the crisis is it prompts you to start doing something differently in your life distress tolerance is a natural progression from mindfulness we want to accept non-judgmentally ourselves in the situation without trying to change the situation our feelings thoughts or urges in the moment so when something happens and you feel angry or you feel stressed or you feel sad that's okay that's how you feel right now now you can choose to continue to feel that way or you can choose to improve the next moment so what we're talking about with the stress tolerance is being able to stop and not immediately think I've got to make this go away right now without considering what your options are. Distress tolerance means surviving crises and accepting life as it is in the moment. Things happen. Sometimes it sucks. And tolerance and acceptance of reality don't mean you approve of them. It just means that you identify, well, that happened. Now what are we going to do? Some distress intolerant thoughts that people have include things like, I can't stand this. It's unbearable. Well, yeah, it may be agonizing and you may not want to stand it, but can you get through it? 
And my midwife will tell you that, yes, you can get through it. Because I changed my mind about halfway through delivering my daughter and decided I wanted an epidural because the pain was unbearable. And she said, um, no, you can do this and it's too late. So understanding that what you choose to tolerate and what you can tolerate are often two very different things. I hate this feeling and I have to stop feeling this way. We don't have to like how we feel, but our feelings are our mind's way of letting us know that something needs to be addressed. If it's a positive feeling, our mind is saying, do that again. Let's do that some more. If it's a negative feeling, it's your mind saying, something's got to change. And it's your mind saying, you need to do something to change the situation so you can stop feeling this way. But it doesn't mean you have to do the first thing that comes your way or your knee-jerk reaction. Sometimes you need to step back, tolerate the pain for a second, and then figure out what to do. I will lose control or I'll go crazy if this pain doesn't stop. And sometimes it can feel agonizing and it can feel like the pain will never stop. Reminding yourself of times in the past when you've dealt with things that seem to go on forever, um, when you've dealt with hard situations before, and then figuring out how you can deal with this one so you don't lose control. You have a choice about continuing on this current path, trying to do it on your own and feeling helpless and out of control, or choosing a different, slightly different path where you can enlist the help of other people or try to do something different so you feel like you have more control. This feeling will keep going on forever. Realistically, we can look back and figure out that there's pretty much no feeling that goes on forever. And some of us have experienced losses and it feels like it is going to hurt forever. And it does hurt for a long time. But each day, it gets a little bit better. And then, you know, some days you have bad days in there and it hurts really bad again. But those days are fewer and farther between the further you get from the loss. It's wrong to feel this way. Trying to tell yourself, I shouldn't be angry, I shouldn't be sad, I shouldn't be worried. Well, you are. So telling yourself you shouldn't be isn't going to fix anything. We need to figure out what's causing that feeling and how to address it so you can stop feeling that way. Because your brain is telling you there's a problem. You need to figure out how to address it. It is stupid, unacceptable, weak, or bad to feel this way. We may look back in retrospect and go, you know, I made a mountain out of a molehill. However, judging yourself, does that do anything to change the situation or does that just compound your misery? And I think most of the time you're going to side with me on it compounds your misery. So when something bad happens, what are your distress intolerant thoughts? Get a piece of paper and write down things you generally tell yourself when something bad starts to happen or when something bad happens that triggers your anger. And then on another paper, do it for anxiety. And on another paper, do it for depression. Those are your three big unpleasant thoughts or feelings. There are some self-statements you can use to counter your thoughts. This is agonizing right now, but it will get better. I've gone through worse before and survived. I know this can't last forever, and my feelings are designed to protect me. I would encourage you for each one of your distress intolerant thoughts you have for each of those three big unpleasant emotions, come up with other statements to rebut your personal distress intolerant thoughts. 
what is it you can tell yourself to counter that thought to take out some of the extreme language in it like i cannot do this instead of saying i cannot you can say this is really miserable right now and i don't like doing this but i can sometimes people want others to understand just how bad they hurt and just how bad the situation is so they focus on the distress instead of surviving the situation they focus so much on trying to explain to others how much it hurts and show others how much it hurts that they get stuck in the hurt the short-term gain is they may get attention they may end up doing something um, to get someone's attention that lands them in the hospital gets them attention gets them a break but generally focusing on the pain and getting stuck in the pain doesn't have any effective long-term results uh, sometimes when we're dealing with people with addictions um, or who tend to self-injure or something like that they may do that behavior at someone so they if they're an alcoholic they may drink at someone look at what you made me do you made me go get drunk if they self-harm they may hurt themselves and try to blame it on the other person to try to pull that other person in to, to where they are to that misery to that pain to that distress um, so it's important to see what's the function of that behavior and was the long-term outcome what you were really looking for we all have avoidance behaviors though when things happen we don't necessarily all practice the pause figure out the next best step and then get moving sometimes bad stuff happens and we want to avoid it for a little while we want to pretend it didn't happen it may be for five minutes it may be for five days what do you do what are your avoidance behaviors and avoidance behaviors do nothing to address the situation they may help you numb emotionally they may help you forget it exists but they don't do anything to fix it um, my daddy had a mole on the back of his shoulder and he demonstrated keen avoidance behaviors for about six years and you know lo and behold it turned out to be melanoma and by the time he got it addressed it was the size of a quarter and stage four melanoma so you can see how avoidance behaviors don't solve the problem it's just like putting your fingers in your ears and going la 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 i'm not going to think about it some people use alcohol or drugs some people hurt themselves because they can control physical pain they can't control the emotional pain binge eating sleeping all the time avoiding situations that remind you of whatever the issue is um, reassurance seeking or checking to make sure everything else is okay or just distracting yourself you know getting online gambling um, sex, viewing internet pornography anything that will take your mind off whatever it is that is just too painful to deal with right now is an avoidance behavior but remember those avoidance behaviors don't fix the problem whatever that problem is just like the mole on my father's back is going to continue to fester and get worse unless you address it so i would challenge you to figure out what are your avoidance behaviors what is their benefit in the short term and generally it makes the pain stop it doesn't fix the problem but it makes the pain stop it's kind of like the um, numbing cream that they put on you before they give you an iv or something it's a short-term benefit 
it makes the pain stop so you don't feel the initial um, needle prick. But in the long term, when that wears off, it's kind of uncomfortable. Did whatever your avoidance behavior was help resolve the situation at all? Most of the time, you're going to say no. And what is the impact of that behavior on you in the long term? So if you avoid this situation and you don't do anything about it and you just let it fester, did it go away or did it help you in the long term? And again, most of the time, this is a leading question because I think 98% of the time you're going to say, you know what? No, it used a lot of energy trying to run from my problem or avoid my problem and it didn't do anything to help me in the long term. So the goal of distress tolerance is to accept, find meaning for, and tolerate distress. And find meaning for doesn't mean that you have to be okay with it. It just means accepting that it is what it is right now and you've got to deal with it. Once you become mindful, you need to accept non-judgmentally yourself and the situation. So accepting how you feel, accepting your reaction, and accepting the situation as it is. And my fallback is always, it is what it is. There's nothing we can do to change it right now. What can I do to change the next moment? If you don't feel like other people understand or are supportive, sometimes you may focus on the distress instead of things you can do to survive the situation. You want the empathy. You're looking for support instead of looking for solutions. When you focus on distress, you increase your distress intolerant thoughts and may turn to avoidance behaviors in order to numb, distract, or eliminate the pain, at least temporarily. Once you recognize the impact of these behaviors, you can do something different and get motivated to explore distress tolerance skills, which is what we're going to talk about in the next section. The first thing we're going to do is learn about urges and how to deal with them. And then we're going to identify ways to use your energy to improve the next moment and help you draw closer to your goal of happiness. It's important to remember that different skills work for different people and may work sometimes but not others. So something that worked for you on Tuesday in a particular situation may not work for you Thursday in a different situation. And that's okay. That's why we want to have multiple tools in our toolbox. It's important that you try out various skills until you find the ones that help you remain mindful, reduce your vulnerabilities, help you accept how you feel in the moment without having to act on your urges, and help you make wise choices for how you're going to use your energy. One of the biggest issues that a lot of the people I work with struggle with is dealing with urges. Something happens and they have this urge to do something. And usually it's a behavior designed to avoid, eliminate, or numb whatever the distressing problem is. These urges are often not the most helpful situation. So I liken them to a bumblebee landing on your arm. And when a bee lands on your arm, most people's first reaction, their urge, is to swat it off. But what happens when you swat off a bumblebee? It stings you. It ends up hurting you in the end, doing exactly what you didn't want it to do. So when you're dealing with urges, imagine it like a bumblebee. If you just sit still for long enough, it will eventually fly away on its very own. It won't hurt you. You won't hurt it. And the situation will resolve itself. Most urges 
are generally only intense for anywhere from five to 30 minutes. On average, it's 20 to 30 minutes where you're just really jonesing to do whatever it is. Argue with somebody, get a drink, punch a wall, whatever your go-to is. Every time you have an urge, you need to stop and think, I have a choice. The first thing you can do is open yourself up to the urge which means experience the feeling with acceptance, non-judgment, being aware it's there, just like the bee. Don't get all caught up in thinking about, well, the bee is going to sting me, and if it stings me, then this is going to happen, and yada, yada, yada. Just be aware that the bee is there. If you want to take another metaphor, you can think about it as a wave. Urges start whenever there's a trigger, and they usually kind of rapidly peak. But then after about 15 or 20 minutes, they start to go down again, just like a panic attack. So being aware that urges will come, but they'll also go out. Once your body realizes that you're not going to give in to that urge, it changes direction. But you've got to train your brain, basically, that I am not going to reward this behavior. When you give me this urge, I'm not going to fulfill that. It's kind of like talking to a two-year-old sometimes, but... Your brain will learn and it will trigger you to do things that are rewarded. When you're thinking about your urges, you want to think about what are the benefits to acting on your impulsive urges. So if you're sitting there trying to ride out that wave or wait for the bumblebee to fly away, think to yourself, I really want to do this, but what are the benefits? What are the drawbacks? And what are the benefits to not acting on my urges, just to sit here and ride this out? And what are the drawbacks to just sitting here and riding it out? And generally, the first drawback is it's a little uncomfortable. Identifying that, again, non-judgmentally, and just saying it is what it is, these are the pros and cons, and making a choice. 90, 95 times out of 100, when you do your pro and con, you're going to find there are more pros to waiting out the urge. Some other things that you can do while you're waiting for this urge to subside are called tip skills. Temperature. One of the things you can do is grab ice cubes. And I can tell you from having carpal tunnel, if you put your hand in an ice bath or if you hold on to two ice cubes for very long, you're not going to think about much else except for when can I let these ice cubes go. You're not going to be thinking about whatever that urge was or whatever caused you to have that urge. You're going to be thinking about the ice cubes. So it can help you get out of that urge wave. Intense exercise. Going out, going on a run, um, whatever it is, drop down and do 100 push-ups. Something that increases your heart rate, helps you get some of that adrenaline out, and refocuses your attention. Paced breathing is kind of on the opposite end. Paced breathing or combat breathing, you breathe in, you hold it for a count of four, and you exhale. It helps slow your breathing, lower your blood pressure. That can help you if you're feeling an urge, you're generally probably uptight, stressed out. So this can help trigger your body to release calming chemicals. And paired muscle relaxation. Now, this one's a little vague for some people, but I want you to think about situations when it's worked before. When I taught uh, stress management at the University of Florida, I used to do an awful trick on my students every year. They would, we would be doing this unit, and they would walk in, 
and everybody would sit down and be doing their normal chit chat stuff. And I'd walk in and I'd say, everybody clear your desks. We're going to have a pop quiz. Well, they were pretty calm and happy and jovial up until that point. And then all of a sudden the room would get silent and you could just feel the stress levels go up because they probably hadn't done their reading. But this is how just the act of a word or a situation can raise your blood pressure or lower it. Things that lower your blood pressure or can lower your stress levels. If somebody says, let's go to dinner, you might be like, score. That's awesome. I don't have to cook tonight and I don't have to clean. Um, so it can reduce your stress. So this can help you relax not only mentally but physically. A baby laughing. I don't know about you, but for me, when I hear a baby laughing, I can't help but laugh myself. So our body responds physically to some of the things that we hear. So paired muscle relaxation is using a verbal cue and associating it with a really relaxed state. So when you're relaxing, you take, take a deep breath in. As you exhale, you say to yourself, relax or calm down or whatever your cue word is that helps you kind of get control of your urges. And it'll be different for each person. I use the word breathe. Um, and that works for me. And I think in with the good air, out with the stressed air. In with the good air, out with the stressed air. Whatever works for you, but it helps you focus on your breathing, slow your breathing, and it also helps you convince your body that it's time to start sending out the relaxation chemicals. Stop skills. Remember I said when something happens, you've got to stop and then assess what's going on. We talked about in one of the other modules, observing, describing, and participating. Well, in order to observe, describe, and participate, you've got to stop and get out of that emotional mind and figure out what's going on. So the first part is to stop and take a step back. Then observe what's going on. And I use a continuum. One end is distress and suffering or kind of where you are right now. And the other end is where you want to be, your goals and values. And you've got options. You can either choose behaviors and thoughts that are going to keep you stuck in your distress and suffering, like anger, and doing things that continue to trigger your anger, or doing things that aren't going to resolve your anger, or you can choose alternate behaviors that are going to help you improve the next moment, and alternate thoughts like, I don't need to pay attention to that, or I can get through this. Any thoughts and behaviors that are going to help you move toward your goals and values of being happy, healthy, and whatever else is important to you. Another acronym that is used in dialectical behavior therapy is ACCEPTS. And that stands for activities, contributing, comparisons, emotions, pushing away, and thinking about something totally different. So with activities, if you're trying to improve the next moment, you're not going to do something that makes you miserable. What you want to do to tolerate the distress is do something pleasant. You know, sometimes things can't be changed. If you know that you've got a meeting with your boss tomorrow, you don't know what it's about, but you're worried about it, you could worry all night long and use up a whole bunch of energy and not get a good night's sleep. Or you could say, all right, that's in the future. In the present, what can I do? What pleasant activities can I do to help improve the current moment? Contributing 
means volunteering, doing something to help someone else. So you're getting outside of your own head, which can help you not focus on whatever it is that is distressing you. Probably my least favorite is comparisons, where you compare yourself to people who are doing either as well or less well than you are. And you say it to yourself, obviously, at least I'm doing better than. And this one seems a little bit negative, but it does give you a perspective of gratitude. Emotions, use finding opposite emotions. So do things that will make you smile. Do things that will make you laugh. Even if you're in a god-awful mood, figure out something that is going to make you at least giggle. And that can be knock-knock jokes. That can be playing with your child or your pet. That can be watching a comedian on television, Netflix, Amazon Prime, whatever helps you experience the opposite emotion. Sometimes that'll be listening to happy music or reading an entertaining book. But you don't want to do activities that are keep you stuck in unhappy emotions and an unpleasant state. Pushing away is basically telling your mind, I'm not going to think about that right now. Sticking your fingers in your ears and going, nope, not going to attend to it. It seems juvenile, but sometimes that's all you got to do. And telling yourself, no, I'm not going to dwell on that at this very moment, you'll find that the times between the time, amount of time between when you have to tell yourself that gets longer and longer and longer. And eventually, you'll quit thinking about whatever the issue is. So pushing away is a real easy one to use sort of on the fly. And think about something totally different. My favorite is 4321. If you get upset, for me, I'm terrified of bridges, completely irrational fear. But when we go over bridges, I find four things I can see, three things I can hear, two things I can smell, and one thing that I feel. And that helps me focus on the present moment and know what's going on instead of focusing on all the possibilities of things that could happen as we go over this bridge. So thinking about something totally different means really just focusing on something that is pleasant or not stressful. You can also self-soothe. Try doing a body scan meditation, starting at the top and going through the bottom, going through your feet, and identifying how you feel, where you need to relax, and focus on relaxing those muscles or massaging out those kinks in order to start feeling a little bit better. You can also self-soothe using the five senses. And your sense of sight, I put the little hamster in a sweater here because who can't be happy when they see a hamster in a sweater? I mean, really. But if that doesn't do it for you, you can find something that smells good. The sense of smell is one of your strongest memory triggers. And you probably have some aromas that are particularly pleasing to you. So keep them handy. And it doesn't have to be something fancy like aromatherapy. It can be a little jar of ginger, if ginger happens to do it for you, or cinnamon or vanilla, or have a rose bush planted outside of your window. The sense, sense of hearing can also improve your mood and help you soothe. I went out to my car this morning, and it was still dark outside. It was not near daylight. But the sound from the birds 
was positively deafening. And I mean, it mean this in a good way. They were chirping and singing and carrying on. And I couldn't help myself but smile because I love spring for seeing the birds come to the feeder and flit around and all that kind of stuff. But that's me. Birds would be one thing that I like to hear. Some people like to hear wind chimes. Some people like to hear different types of music. Whatever makes you happy. Touch. Massage can be great. But if you can't get a massage, if you don't find that it's rewarding to massage yourself, there are other things that you can do for the sense of touch. Um, I used to raise Angora rabbits. And Angora fur is extremely soft. And I still have some felt that I made from some of my rabbits out of pieces that were too, too short to spin into wool or into yarn, I mean. Um, and the sense of touch, just holding those and sort of touching those, they're soft. And they remind me of my bunnies. So that also makes me happy. And finally, you can self-soothe using the sense of taste. And I put this one at the bottom for a reason. It is really easy to start using food to cope. So I don't want you to self-soothe and distract with binge eating. But sometimes you can self-soothe with taste, maybe a good cup of coffee, maybe a biscuit at your favorite restaurant, something that is small in portion but still attracts your attention for that moment while you're in distress. I've been talking about improving the moment and improving the next moment. Well, there's actually an acronym for that. Imagery is the I, meaning is the M, prayer and relaxation are the P and the R, one thing in the moment is the O, V is for vacation, and E is for encouragement. So let's go back to imagery for a second. One thing you can do to improve the next moment is imagine yourself in a safe place, whatever that place is for you. It could be your family cabin from when you were growing up, it could be your bedroom, whatever your happy place is. You can imagine yourself successfully dealing with whatever the stressor is. Remember I said you may have a meeting with your boss tomorrow that you're really stressed about. Well, you can use imagery to imagine that meeting going really well instead of being caught up in all the what-ifs and being sure that it's going to go poorly. You can imagine a force field around yourself protecting you from negativity and negative imagery. You can imagine that you've got a coach, a fairy godmother, or an angel sitting on your shoulder, a little Jiminy Cricket, cheering you along, going, you got this. You know, it sucks right now, but you got this. You can do the next right thing. You can imagine your negative feelings or your unpleasant feelings as clouds in the sky. You know, just watch them come in and watch them go out. You don't have to get stuck on them. You don't have to try to figure out what's going on. You don't have to be angry or upset that you're having them. You just watch them come and watch them go. Or you can imagine an unstoppable train as your emotions. And this emotion just comes through. And you can't jump on the tracks and stop it. So you've just got to wait while it passes through the station. You can assign meaning or try to find meaning in the situation by changing how you think about yourself and the situation. So if your immediate reaction is to feel helpless, hopeless, angry, you might stop and try to figure out what can I get from this or what are the benefits or what can I learn from this unpleasant situation. Make lemonade or find the silver lining. 
sometimes life is going to hand you lemons. So you've got to figure out, you can either sit there with a sour look on your face or figure out how to get the best out of it or just let it go. Sometimes things happen and it's just not even worth your energy to try to make lemonade with it. Just let it go because it's going to be gone in a day or two or a week. Prayer to your higher power, um, whomever you pray to, can help you improve the moment because you're asking for help. You're asking for guidance. You're asking for strength, whatever you're asking for. Relaxation skills help you improve the moment. You can't stay stressed and relax at the same time. Your brain doesn't work like that. So if you start working on forcing yourself to relax, I mean helping yourself to relax, then you will find that you're improving the next moment and letting go of some of the stress and tension and focusing more on your physical body than whatever your worries are. One thing in the moment means to focus on what you're doing right now. If you're sitting in a chair, what does the chair feel like? What are you thinking about? Are you comfortable? Um, can you move your chair? Are you in the right lighting? You know, you kind of get where I'm going here. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Focus on that. When I'm driving, in order to focus on one thing in the moment, I try to stay present instead of thinking about my day or what I'm going to do when I get home. By paying attention and seeing if there are deer on the side of the road looking for the hawk that's always on the power line when I'm driving home, trying to notice different things which help me stay present. And obviously, I'm looking for things that are meaningful to me. Another activity that a lot of people have done, if you remember getting those paddle balls when you were little, and I think even today kids get these, and they're the little wood paddles with the ball that's attached to like the 15-foot string, and you bounce it. You can't focus on anything else while you're bouncing that ball. So that may be something to invest in. Or a yo-yo. That's another thing that you can um, focus on that can help improve the moment because it will distract you from something that may be out of your control. Vacations. Take a mental vacation. You may not be able to afford to go on a real vacation right now, nor is it practical to just drop everything and go, I'm going to Aruba. I'll see you in two weeks. But you can take a mental vacation and just check out for 30 minutes, watch cartoons, watch stupid videos on YouTube, whatever it is that helps you check out of this current situation. Because when you come back to it, you may be able to see it through a different light. Leave stress at work. And this is hard for a lot of us in our current situation our bosses often expect us to check our email in the evening and expect us to respond and deal with things 24 7 365 setting boundaries and leaving work at work will do a lot to improve the moment because if you have something stressful at work it may not resolve by the close of business but if you can leave that there go home and enjoy your family then it'll probably still be there when you get back in the morning, but at least it gave you a vacation from it. You improved the next moment. And give yourself encouragement. Be your own best friend and create a mental coach. What would a best friend do when you're stressed out or a coach? They wouldn't say, uh, I don't know if you're going to be able to do this. They would say, come on, you've done this before, you've done harder things before, or I have faith in you. So give yourself encouragement to get through whatever the stress it is and give yourself encouragement that you can 
continue to move forward. Urges come and go. Surfing urges helps keep you from doing something impulsively that could cause you distress, like swatting at that poor little bumblebee. Tip skills can help you get through the urge by distracting your mind with temperature or other things. Accepts activities can help you unhook or distance yourself from powerful urges and feelings. And improved skills will help you take positive steps toward your goals. In this segment, we're going to define and explore radical acceptance and talk about a few additional tools. Once you have become mindful of what's going on, you're aware, you're non-judgmental, radical acceptance means complete and total acceptance of the facts of reality. It is what it is. You don't have to like it or condone it. Just accept that in this moment right here, it is what it is. Now, the next moment, you can change. Prior moments, they're done. Right now, it is what it is. And this is so much easier said than done, and it takes practice. One thing that can help you with radical acceptance is learning to see your emotions differently. Fear and anger kick in when your brain thinks there's a threat, and sadness kicks in when you lose something important to you in some way. If you didn't feel sadness when you lost it, then it would mean that nothing was ever important to you. So radical acceptance means accepting even unpleasant emotions as reality and communicating something meaningful. It doesn't mean you have to hold on to them and nurture them, but it means that there's something to pay attention to. Unpleasant emotions are important to survival rather than something to be feared and avoided at all costs. So again, radical acceptance means acknowledging the unpleasant emotion and then figuring out what to do next. Once we figure out what's going on, we become mindful, we know how we feel, then it becomes a matter of willingness or willfulness. Willfulness forgets, ignores, or actively tries to change, master, direct, control, or manipulate what is. And we have donkeys on our farm. When we first got them, I don't know a whole lot about equines. It was a big learning curve for me. We would try to walk them into the barn, and they wouldn't go. And they would resist, and we would pull, and we would push. And the neighbors got quite a sight every night when we would try to get the donkeys into the barn. We're sure they were sitting on their porch with a video camera getting ready to post it on YouTube because it was pretty amusing if you weren't in, in the thick of it. But the donkeys were being willful. They were not doing something. What we didn't understand was there was a reason for it, and it wasn't because they were trying to con control or manipulate us. So we thought they were being willful. Willingness is surrendering to a process in which one is already a part and figuring out what to do to change the next moment. So we had to become willing, instead of fighting with the donkeys and trying to change it and convince them that they were going into the barn, we had to become willing to become part of the situation, take a look at it from their perspective. Well, lo and behold, their day and night vision doesn't change very quickly. So we were asking them to go from bright sunlight to a dark barn, and that was terrifying to them. So it made a whole lot more sense once we realized that they can't see what's in the barn. They don't know if there's a threat there. And we hadn't had them long enough for them to trust us. We started turning on the lights in the barn, they walked right into the barn. So it's a matter of trying to understand the situation 
and figuring out how to work with it instead of work against it. Another thing you can do is try to change your mind. Mentally looking to the other side to focus on how you can best use your energy to improve or cope with the situation. So if something happens, like you're in a car accident, you have the negative side. You can focus on feeling frustrated, angry, the fact that it's horrible. And you can accept that in the moment. The next step in order to improve the next moment would be to turn the mind and identify the positive aspects. You know, at least I'm alive. The car can be replaced. I have good insurance, yada, yada. Once you're aware of the situation, then it becomes time to start choosing what your next steps are. While you're doing that, it can feel absolutely awful. You know, you, you are angry, you are devastated, you are stressed out, you are feeling some unpleasant emotion. And even thinking about, okay, I'm just going to start looking at the positive, that doesn't feel so rewarding. One of the things we found is that emotions are partially controlled by facial expressions. So if you half smile, which is basically what I call the fake smile, and have your hands unclenched, palms up, and fingers relaxed, it can help you feel more open to positive feelings and being happy and changing the situation. You can also be mindful of your current thoughts, recognizing that thoughts are just neural firing in the brain and not actual facts about the world. I tend to liken them to a bad salesman. You know, a bad salesman will tell you anything you want to hear to get you to buy whatever it is. It doesn't mean they're telling you facts. So we need to allow the thoughts to come and fade, just like we wouldn't take the salesman on his or her word. We would check it out. So be mindful of your current thoughts. Be aware of what they are, but then check them before you act. If you struggle with addictions, and this can be anything from pornography addiction to smoking to alcoholism, the addicted mind is governed by impulsive behaviors designed to make pain go away quickly. It's very similar to the emotional mind. The clean mind is what we call the pink cloud in early recovery circles. It forgets that relapse is even possible. You think you've got it licked. You don't have to worry about ever using again. Um, and the clean mind is on the other end because it sees that you're not using right now and you're not under stress right now. So it logically seems like the problem is gone. The clear mind synthesizes the two, which is like the wise mind. And it says, okay, in this particular situation, when you're in 30-day residential or you're in a safe environment, yeah, it seems like the problem's completely gone. But in your heart, you know that there is a possibility of relapse. So putting the two of them together, the clear mind reminds you that, yes, you have the skills and tools to do the next right thing. However, there is always going to be the opportunity to relapse. And you need to be mindful of your relapse warning signs. If you are struggling with addictive behaviors, it's important to understand how you think, feel, and behave in each state of mind. One thing I have my clients do is fill out this table. The addicted mind, the clean mind, and the clear mind. So when you're in an addicted mind, you may feel defeated and hopeless or angry and bitter. When you're in your clean mind, you may feel untouchable and infallible, exuberant and compassionate. My experience has been the addicted mind and the clean mind 
are typically polar opposites. So however you felt, thought, or reacted in your addiction is probably going to be the opposite of the clean mind. The clear mind finds the middle ground. It says you're not untouchable and you're not infallible, but I'm cautiously optimistic we've got it this time. It says, you know, you don't need to be angry and bitter. That's true. But being too exuberant and compassionate can get you into trouble because you might be exerting energy more on other people than on yourself. So be compassionate but careful. So your clear mind synthesizes the exuberance from early recovery and the agony from addiction and comes up with something that will help keep you safe. Additional tools, burning bridges and building new ones. I like this one. Um, eliminate triggers and vulnerabilities as they come up. So it's important to figure out what your triggers are and be aware of your vulnerabilities and actively address them. If you can avoid going past your dealer's house, if you can avoid going past your ex's house, then do so. There's no reason to subject yourself to that distress. When other things come your way, try to actively eliminate them as soon as possible instead of letting them drain your energy. And find physical and emotional sensations and create mental images that compete with the urge to use. So if you're looking at a picture of your child, does that compete with the urge to use or does that make you want to use? When you're looking at the image of this house that you hope to buy next month or at the end of the year, does that compete with the urge to use or does that make you want to use? So finding things you can look at that remind you why the struggle is worth the effort. Find physical and emotional sensations and create mental images that compete with the urge to use and produce feelings like love and happiness and encourage you to laugh. I would encourage you to write this on a piece of paper so you have a list of things you can do because you're not always going to remember what they are. And especially when you're struggling and in pain, you're not going to be like, what was that that I was supposed to do? Keep a list of them handy. Take a picture of it. Keep it on your phone. Identify for yourself what's more important than using or what brings you greater peace than using. And again, create a picture album. Have mental images. You can draw, narrate, or record these images. So maybe you're creative and you want to draw it out. Or maybe you want to write a narrative, write a story about what gr brings you greater peace than using. And if you're not into actually typing and writing, you can just record it so you can listen to it when you start to feel stressed. If some of these are not kind of hitting the mark, another thing you can try is alternate rebellion or finding alternate ways to, to fulfill your urges or to act out, if you will, which are safer. Harm reduction. Instead of punching the wall, punch your pillow or punch the mattress. Sublimation. Take all that energy and anger you have and use it for something positive. I mean, it's energy. It's balled up and it's ready to go. So you can either use it for something that's going to keep you stuck or make the situation worse, or you can use it for something positive. Use your tip skills or even considering listening to like loud music, something that will jar you out of your current situation, out of your current emotional state. Important questions to consider when you're going through each of the activities are, how does this particular technique make me feel? How does it impact how you feel in the moment? 
and how does it impact how you handle the problem so we want it to help you improve the moment and help you choose behaviors that are going to help you move towards your goals in terms of how it impacts your feelings and affects how you handle the problem so which skills help you do that it is important to be aware however that sometimes emotions thoughts and urges will just reappear you think you're doing fine then all of a sudden it's like oh i want to use again or i'm angry again notice them without negative judgment figure out how you can tolerate the distress and then problem solve um, i know right after one of my dogs was killed um, he was hit by a car it was really sudden obviously hit by a car um, and i would be okay and then all of a sudden i would have a thought of him getting hit by a car and it would just be devastating so in order to deal with that i had to be aware that sometimes that emotion sometimes that memory is going to come right back and it hurts it hurts like heck needed to notice it without negative judgment going well you shouldn't be going back there again tolerate the distress and improve the next moment remember that you feel how you feel feelings cause you to have urges feelings are designed to protect you in some way so they want you to do something to protect yourself which we call an urge urges are generally designed to escape the feeling but often do nothing to change or improve the situation thankfully they subside within 20 to 30 minutes but it's important to deal with these urges you need to find techniques that can help you let the urge pass you can stop you can use stop skills to identify options to improve the next moment and then take action start improving the next moment don't just sit there stuck in a thinking circle think about it and then take purposeful action and start improving the next moment 